We'll be in Matthew 25 this morning, if you have your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, uh, feel free to grab one in the pew in front of you. Matthew 25. A couple weeks ago, we began a uh, new series called Summer Stories, where we've been going through different parables of Jesus. Uh, we're not going to cover all the parables, but just a few um, get us through the next few weeks. But um, this week, in particular, we're going to be looking at uh, what's called the parable of the talents. And uh, we're going to begin in verse 14 of Matthew 25 in just a second. I've entitled the message this morning, Two Types of Servants. Two Types of Servants. And as we read uh, this parable, you'll see why. I don't want to talk too much about it uh, before we get into it. I want to read it all first, and then we'll go back and and talk about what the meanings are and uh, who the individuals represent, those kind of things. Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14, and you'll notice there in Matthew 25, this comes uh, kind of in a, a group of parables that Jesus is teaching here. But he says, For it's just like a man about to go on a journey. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents. To another, two talents, and to another, one talent, depending on each one's ability. Then he went on a journey. Immediately, the man who had received five talents went, put them to work, and earned five more. In the same way, the man with two earned two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents, and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Well, the man with two talents also approached. He said, Master, you gave me two talents. See, I've earned two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid. And went off and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gathered where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers, and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant into the outer darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Father, as we come to your word this morning, help us to see the meaning of this parable. We thank you uh, for giving us your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us not only understand, but to apply and live out what your word says. Lord, as we approach 
a passage that can be very convicting. Lord, I pray for each one of us that we will identify ourselves maybe in this story somewhere and see how we need to rightly respond to live your word out as we need to. In Jesus' name, amen. Do you remember the first time that you were left home alone? I don't remember specifically the first time as far as what happened or anything like that. I know when I was a young teenager, uh, that was the first time I was left home alone. Uh, But I do remember some of the feelings that happened when I was left home alone. There was a side of me that I was uh, a little bit scared. I was afraid of what might happen when mom and dad uh, were gone, and I was afraid, you know, of, of, you know, what could go wrong, those kind of things, and what I would do if things went wrong. But then there was another side of it that, man, I felt like I had so much responsibility. I thought I had grown up, and I was like, man, I, you know, here I get this opportunity to be home alone, and the question loomed over my head. I remember the question loomed over my head was, uh, now that my parents are gone, what am I going to do? And you may remember thinking that at a certain time when you were left home alone. Now that my parents are gone, what am I going to do? Am I going to eat junk food? Am I going to watch TV the whole time? Am I going to, you know, go jump on the bed? You know, whatever I want to do. What am I going to do? Or am I going to obey maybe some specific instructions they gave me before they left? And I, you know, I had the freedom to make that decision. And as we think about that question that maybe we all asked ourselves when we were left home alone, what am I going to do now that my parents are gone? What we find when we look at this parable is a very similar question that these servants were asking themselves or had to ask themselves when their master left. Now let me remind you before we get into a parable, if you haven't been with us, this word may be new to you, parable. A parable was a story that Jesus told and used as an illustration to teach us something about the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And so oftentimes uh, the characters within these stories represent other people, other individuals. And so what we see here is that we have an individual who is a master in this story, and then we have multiple individuals who are servants in this story. And in particular, in this context, what he's talking about here is this master who had gone away would represent one day Jesus, as he was telling this story, how he would ascend back into heaven and go away. He would leave this earth, and one day, as we know, he has promised to return. One day we're all going to stand before him. And in the meantime, we find ourselves much like these servants, here with our master's possessions, and we're asking ourselves the question, much like they probably should have in this parable, what are we going to do now that our master Jesus has gone? Now that our master has ascended back to heaven, now that Jesus has gone away, what are we going to do in the meantime? Specifically, I want to make this personal this morning. What are you going to do in the meantime now that Jesus has gone away? Now, as we think about that, we have to think about, like, what has he asked us to do? You know, are we going to do what we want? Are we going to do what he's asked us to do? And so what we see this morning and what we're going to see in this passage is that Jesus has some specific expectations of us and what we are to do while we are awaiting his return. And we're going to see from this passage what some of those are and why we should follow them. And I want to begin by looking at verse 14 
and 15 this morning. Look at how this parable starts. And Jesus says, for it is just like a man. Now, when he says it, what's he, talk, what's he talking about there? He's talking about the kingdom of God. So the kingdom of God is just like a man about to go on a journey. Again, this master is talking about Jesus. He called his own servants and entrusted his possessions to them. Now, here's what it says in verse 15. To one, he gave five talents. To another, two talents. And to another, one talent, depending on each one's ability. Now, what is a talent? This is a little bit difficult to understand if you're just reading it in the English, because in uh, talent, when we read it oftentimes, we think of our talents that we have, maybe singing or, or, or painting or drawing or those kind of things that we think of as talents, but that's not what this is talking about. And that's why in English it's a little bit difficult to understand. If you look in the footnotes, it may tell you a little bit more about what a talent is. But in biblical days, a talent was a measurement of weight. And oftentimes, this weight measurement was used to uh, measure out different amounts of gold or silver. And so when we look at this specific use of this, what um, many theologians believe this is talking about is a specific amount that someone would be paid, like a wage or an earning. And a talent was a very, very large amount. In fact, many believe that a talent was equivalent to about 20 years worth of working labor. So imagine 20 years salary is one talent. That's what we're talking about here. So these were large amounts of money that were being distributed to them. And how were they distributed? Look at what it says in verse 15. One gave, he gave five to another two talents and to another one talent. Each one got a different amount. Now, was it up to the servants how much they got? It wasn't up to them. It was up to the master. The master decided that. And it says they each received what they had depending on each one's ability. Now, I don't know what that means. That could mean responsibility, what they were able to do with it, what the master thought they might be able to do with it. But it says that each one was distributed a different amount. But again, don't get hung up on that because these were all large amounts. The one who received one, that was 20 years worth of wages. I mean, if somebody came in today and said, I'm going to write you a check for 20 years worth of your salary, I don't think anybody would turn that down. We wouldn't say, oh, that, that's not enough. Up it up, bump it up a little bit. I mean, we would all be happy with that. Each one received a large portion. And here's the point. Understand verse 15 says that the master gave these out. These were the master's. And so this morning, I want us to, to begin thinking about this passage with this truth, this point in mind, that God has entrusted you with his possessions. Let me say that again. God has entrusted you with his possessions. I want you to think in your life how blessed you are. Now, when we say possessions, oftentimes we think about material type of things, uh, and certainly that's part of this. I mean, this equates in this parable to talking about money. We can think about money, food, clothes, car, house, all of those material possessions. But I want to be a little bit broader. I want you to think about every single thing you have, you possess, has been entrusted to you by God and actually belongs to Him. Now, I want to start by thinking just about your life, 
the very breath you breathe, the very air in your lungs, that has been given to you by God. Your very, the very life you have, the time that you have, the, the amount of life you have left to live, that, that has been entrusted to you, given to you by God. Your family, your relationships, and the world we live in, like when, when we walk around this world and see the, the creation on display, man, God has given us this and entrusted us this to enjoy, to take care of, all of those things. And again, we can talk about material possessions. We can talk about things like our church family. Man, the relationships we have here, the love we have for one another. And then we can get into some of those things like maybe when we first read this, what we thought of, our gifts, our talents, our abilities. Anything you can think of that you have has been entrusted to you, given to you by God. And listen, those things are actually his. They're not yours. Anything that you can think of, it's his and not yours. And I don't want us to miss that this morning. And so as we think about these things, let me be even more specific. Every single one of these are his, and they are completely his. Not a tenth, not a tenth of our possessions are his. A hundred percent of our possessions are his. Psalm 24, the psalmist makes this clear by saying in verse 1, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Now, if you didn't hear me, let me say that again. The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. There is not a thing that you can think of in this life that is not God's, that does not belong to him, and he has entrusted you with these things. You know, as a teenager, you learn a lot of life lessons. I already mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, being left home alone. I remember in my first job as a, a teenager, first official job where I worked regular hours. I worked in a gas station, uh, and I think I had probably the worst possible shift that a teenager could have. Uh, I worked from 4 p.m. to midnight every Friday and Saturday. Now, you can imagine as a teenager what that would be like. I think my parents liked it because they knew where I would be and that I wouldn't be into trouble. Uh, 4 p.m. to midnight every Friday and Saturday. And here's one of the things I realized. Working that shift on Friday and Saturday, it's almost for certain that the boss is not going to be there. Right? I mean, they're not, they're not going to be there on 4 p.m. to midnight, Friday and Saturday. And so they had, the boss, he had given us specific responsibilities, specific things that he wanted us to do, and we were to do those things. Now, we all had different roles to play, different things that we did. There were some of us who worked there who ran the register, some of us who uh, maybe took care of the books and those kind of things. Uh, there were those who um, were responsible for kind of managing while the manager was gone. My job was things like taking out the trash and sweeping and dusting and straightening the shelves, those kind of things. Now, you look at all of those jobs, they were all different, and you know, I didn't have the most glamorous job. But one thing I realized is that even though the boss, the manager, had given us different jobs and different roles and they all kind of fell in different places, he, he had the same exact expectation of every single one of us. 
while we all had different jobs, the expectation was the same. And the expectation was we need to be working and getting our job done. Now, there were occasions where he would pop in on Friday or Saturday just unannounced and just walk around and see if we were all doing our job. And man, when we saw him pull in the parking lot, boy, we got to work, right? Uh, we, boss is here, boss is here, get to work. Listen, he had that expectation for us that we all were to do our jobs. We all were to, to do the things that he asked us to do. Listen, while the possessions that God has entrusted to us, the Bible is clear and we all know that it's all different. The amounts are all different. Listen, the expectations that we all have are exactly the same. God's expectation of you and of me, of all of the possessions, all of the things he's entrusted to us, that expectation is exactly the same. You are called to use God's possessions for his purposes. If you're taking notes, write that down this morning. God expects you to use his possessions for his purposes. Now again, what did we say his possessions were? A tenth? Is that what we said? Everything belongs to him. And God expects you to use his possessions for his purposes. Now, some of us may, as we think about what God has given us or the possessions we have, we may feel like we can't do much with what we have. Some of us in this room may feel like, well, I can't do much for the Lord. There's not a lot I can do. But the truth is, we are expected to do what we can. Listen, should I shut my mouth and never preach again because I may not be on a platform as big as some preachers? Should I never give my tithes and offerings because the check I write might not be as big as someone else's? Should I never serve because I might not have as much energy as I used to? And of course, as you think about these things, the answer would be no. And why would the answer be no? Because we would think something like, even though I can't do everything, I can do something. And doing something for God is doing better than nothing, right? Listen, it's not about what you've been given. It's about what you're going to do with it. What you've been given, as we see from this passage here, what you've been given is up to God. But it's up to you to choose what you're going to do with it. Let me say that again. What you've been given is up to God, but it is up to you to choose what you're going to do with it. And so let me ask you, what are you going to do with all these blessings, all these possessions that God has given you from your finances, as we see here illustrated, to other material blessings, to the very time and breath that we have? What are you going to do with all of these things that are actually God's? Because what we choose to do or not do with those things matters. I knew a guy named Justin. He had this opportunity to borrow his friend's luxury car. It was a brand new Porsche. I think it was worth something like $100,000. His friend had got it from his wife for uh, his birthday. And Justin's friend had allowed him to borrow this for the day and said, I want you to be careful. Of course he said that, right? I want you to be careful, and I want you to just stay in town. 
right? And, and I think he knew, like, you know, speed limit in town was, you know, a lot lower than everywhere else or whatever. So anyway, Justin got this car, and he got a coworker to go with him to lunch. And after lunch, they were driving around town, and his coworker asked him if he could drive the Porsche. And Justin decided to let him do it. And so his friend got in the driver's seat and began to drive. Well, as he was driving, his friend began to leave town because he wanted to see how fast the thing could go. And he got out of town on some country roads, and he hammered it, and he was booking it down the road. And all of a sudden, he began to lose control, and he crashed that $100,000 Porsche in the ditch. Now, they were both okay, but Justin had to make a phone call to the owner. Now, what do you think that phone call was like? Put yourself in his shoes. How would you feel giving a phone call to the owner when what he had entrusted to you and asked you to do with it did not go as he thought it should go? Now, I'll tell you this. I made the story up. It didn't really happen. But I made it up because I wanted you to feel like the weight of that. Think about if you were actually in that situation, what that would be like to come back and have to stand before the person or call the person that entrusted this valuable stuff to you and you blew it. The questions that probably went through your mind as I read or told that story were things like, how could he do that? How could he be so irresponsible? Is he crazy? You know, he should have known better. Well, just like we could only imagine what it would have to be like to stand before someone and, and face someone in those moments and with this kind of decision making. Here's the truth. The Bible says there will come a day that every single one of us will have to stand before God and give an account to what we've done or haven't done with the possessions that he's entrusted to us. And so this morning, I want you to understand from this story that God will settle accounts with you one day. And it won't be a group thing. We're not going to be standing in front of God as a church together one day. We're going to be standing before God as individuals. And God will settle accounts with us one day. And as we see this happening in this story, I want you to notice in verse 19 how this plays out. After a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five talents approached, presented five more talents and said, Master, you gave me five talents. See, I've earned five more talents. Now, this servant apparently did something with what this master had entrusted to him. And he came back and had more to show for what he was given. And look at the response in verse 21. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Now, similar situations hap situation happens in verse 22. When the servant stands before the master, but this was the one that was given two talents. Look at what he says. The man with two talents also approached. He says, Master, you gave me two talents. 
See, I've earned two more talents. And what does the master say here? Well, that's not enough as the first guy. He earned five. You only earned two. What's wrong with you? No, look at what he says. The master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Share your master's joy. Same exact response as the first servant. Let me remind you, it's not about how much we have or don't have because God's the one who decides to entrust us with different amounts. What, what matters is what we do with what we've been given. You see, God has the same expectation of all of us, and when we stand before him being faithful to use what he's given to us for his purposes, for his glory, he's going to have the same response no matter how much or how little you think you have. He's looking for faithful servants. They got equal rewards for the work they had done. But there was another type of servant here. There was a faithful type, but there was another type. Verse 24 says, The man who had received one talent also approached and said, Master, I know you. You're a harsh man, reaping where you haven't sown and gathering where you haven't scattered seed. So I was afraid and went off and hid your talent in the ground. So you have what is yours. His master replied to him, You evil, lazy servant. If you knew that I reap where I haven't sown and gather where I haven't scattered, then you should have deposited my money with the bankers and I would have received my money back with interest when I returned. So take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. Now what was this servant's plan when he walked up to the master? What did he do? He began offering up excuses. Well, here's why I didn't do anything with it. Here's here's what I was thinking. Here's my thought process. Here's why. But notice what happens here. Excuses didn't work. Now, here's the truth. Excuses for not serving the Lord might work today. It might work with one another. But excuses for not serving the Lord will not work when we stand before him. Because he knows our hearts. He knows why we don't do things for him that we should do. And not only that, look at this response. So take the talent from him, give it to the one who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have more than enough. But from the one who does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. And throw this good-for-nothing servant out into the the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of of teeth. This unfaithful servant, instead of receiving eternal life and reward in heaven, he received eternal punishment in hell. Now hold up just a second. I know what you're thinking because when I read stuff like this, this thought goes through my mind too at first. I thought salvation wasn't about works. You know, why would somebody who's not doing something get sent to hell, but somebody who is doing something get rewarded and get this blessing. I thought salvation wasn't about works. And as we think about those things, we know that the Bible is clear. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 
says, For you are saved by grace through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. That's Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. We are not saved by our works. We are saved through faith, through God's gift and what Jesus has done for us. But the Bible teaches over and over that while we are not saved by our good works, we are saved for good works. Now, I just read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 that tells us clearly we're not saved by good works. But think about what verse 10 says. It's the very next verse. Listen to this. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. You see, not only are we to do good works if we are in Christ, if we have been changed by Christ, we will do good works. Not only that, it is so vital, so important that we do these things that God has prepared them ahead of time for us to do. God has planned for us to do these good works. And let me just say, the Bible is very clear that if you have no desire to serve the Lord, it's not a time problem, it's not an ability problem, it's a heart problem. Now, as Vody Bauckham says, if you can't say amen, you ought to say ouch. <laughs> if you have no desire to serve the Lord, it's not a time problem, an ability problem, it's a heart problem. We have to make sure our hearts are in the right place because the Bible is clear. Those who have been changed by Christ, those who are following Christ, will be servants of Christ. Now, maybe you're here this morning and you think, well, why should I live for Jesus? What, what did he do for me? Man, let me just tell you how good Jesus is. The Bible says that we are all dead in our sins. And we all deserve the punishment that this wicked servant got because of our sin. We all deserve that. The Bible says that since we are dead in sin, the wages of our sin is death. Not, not just meaning, you know, physical death, but death and separation from God in hell for eternity. And the reason it's for eternity is because we can never pay enough to overcome the debt. But the Bible says because of what Jesus did for us. Him coming and dwelling here in the flesh, fully God, fully man, never sinning one time because of who Jesus was and what he did. He died on the cross, taking the punishment for all of our sin. He was able to cover the debt that we could not pay. And on the third day, the Bible says he came back to life, and 40 days later he ascended to heaven, and as this parable makes clear, he's coming back again. But listen, because Jesus did that, when we place our faith and trust in him, we can have salvation. Instead of spending eternity in hell, we get to spend eternity in heaven because of what he did for us. And the Bible says that not only that, we get the blessing and joy of serving him. In the meantime, that is what God has done for us, and he blesses us in so many Listen. I told you a minute ago that all of us has been entrusted by God with various possessions. Listen, even if you're lost, I want you to know, even if you don't know Jesus, the very breath that you breathe belongs to God. Man, don't you want to follow and love someone who gave you the very life that you have? Man, he loves you so much. And the Bible says that Jesus died and came back to life for you, and that's why we should live for him. That's why we should follow him. 
And when you know Jesus, the Bible's also clear that your life should change and you should live in full obedience to Christ, leaving nothing out. This past week, I tried to make some brownies. And as I was baking the brownies, I was adding the ingredients and I got ready to put it in the oven and I realized I'd left the water out of the batter. And I just happened to notice before, actually, my wife asked me, did you put the water in there? And I was like, oh, no, I didn't. Uh, so I had to go back and add it. Because here's the reality. When you leave something out of a recipe, it doesn't turn out like it's supposed to. I think there, there are many people who are claiming to follow Jesus who, when it comes down to it, are trying to leave things out. We do the parts of Jesus that we want. We do the parts of Jesus that we like, the parts of Christianity that we like, but we leave the stuff out that we either think is unimportant or we don't like. And we think things will go well when we do that. And oftentimes, for Christians today, the serving part is the part that we're like, ah, I can take it or leave it. If I find time, I'll do it. If I, you know, maybe if I have a little extra money, I'll give it. If I think about it, I'll, you know, maybe do something for the Lord. But the Bible is clear that serving is integral to our relationship with God. It's a huge part of what it means to be a Christian. It's a huge part of how we grow spiritually. So let me ask you today, when it comes to these two types of servants, which one would you most identify with? When you think about your own heart, what do you need to put to use for the Lord today? Because again, it's all his. Maybe as you're thinking about your life, you need to maybe take the first step of following Jesus, and that's obedience. Maybe for your life, as you think about living your life, you need to take some action with your words and maybe share the gospel with folks. You know, all of us, again, we all have time and abilities that we should give and can give. If not, we need to reprioritize our time. As we think about this, here's the truth. I know this for a fact. We have areas, all kinds of areas in our church that we need volunteers for. We have ministries that we want to be able to do that we can't do yet because we don't have enough volunteers. There are different outreaches that we want to be able to. We need folks in our church who can come alongside us. When we think about uh, different material things like what this passage is talking about, we're just a couple thousand dollars away from paying off our sanctuary project. Man, I would love to see our church get that paid off by the end of this month. We're looking to sponsor some missionaries from Poland. Then we got just our general budget uh, to see ministry happen here in the church. Man, there are tons of ways that we can serve the Lord. And so here's the thing. It's not that there aren't ways that we can serve. Again, it comes back to the question, are you willing to serve the Lord? Do you want to serve him? Do you want to give back to him the possessions that he's given to you? Because as we see here, the truth is that every single one of us will stand before the Lord one day. He's going to look at us. He's going to ask us, what have you done with everything I've entrusted to you? When he asks you that, what will your response be? What will you have to show for what you've done for him? Will you offer up excuses? Will you say, well, I thought this or I thought that? Or will you be able to stand before him as one of these faithful servants? Man, my prayer is that every one of us would be able to stand before God as a faithful servant and be able to hear him say, as verse 21 told us, 
well done, good and faithful servant. Man, wouldn't that be wonderful to hear the Lord say that to you one day? Well done, good and faithful servant. So let's no longer put off what God has asked us to do. Let's serve him with everything that he's entrusted to us to see his kingdom and his purposes flourish and grow here on the earth. Father, as we think about your word today, we know that it's very challenging because so many times we feel like that we own and we possess everything that we have. Lord, we know that when we really encounter your word, we know that everything belongs to you. And so, God, as we think about that this morning, I pray for maybe someone here today who needs to submit their life to you, begin following you. Lord, I pray for that person who maybe needs to be baptized or um, to take some other step of faith. Lord, for that believer who maybe, as the parable says, has become lazy, Lord, I I pray that you would help us honestly, all of us, look at our hearts and lives and ask, have we become lazy? Lord, help us to be willing to serve you with what you've entrusted to us, realizing you're the giver of it all, but we're just called to obey. Lord, as we go into this time of commitment, move in our hearts, help us to leave here in greater obedience to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.